Okay. You ready? Yes. So I am. Let me make sure I'm double recording. I moved to Gainesville, Florida to work as a local TV news reporter in 2013, the same year the Alachua County Sheriff's Office hired a brand new cold case detective. I was working here for a couple of days. I asked the previous cold case detective what I should be doing. His name is Kevin Allen, and he has been the detective on this case ever since. I remember you telling me you were told immediately just to get on Tiffany Sessions. Started on a Wednesday. I was done reading the case by Friday. By Monday, I was ready to go find Tiffany Sessions. As a detective, what is that like when there is no physical evidence? Where do you turn? There's nothing to start with, you know. You start by getting to know the victim, the victim's friends, you know, basically their routine. You know, that was very easy to nail down. What we couldn't nail down is who abducted her and why. It's time to start connecting the dots in this case. But pay close attention because the dots still don't all connect. I'm Haley Holloway, and this is Shallow Graves. The dots for this episode start about 10 years ago with a sheriff's office intern in the evidence room. Do you still go by Jamie Weiwei? Yes. Okay. And what's your title? Right now, I'm an assistant state attorney, and I'm leaving next week to go to statewide prosecution as an assistant statewide prosecutor. Jamie Weiwei is a bit of a legend at the Alachua County Sheriff's Office. She was there from 2005 till 2012 when she went to law school. And what was your role there? I was an analyst. From what I've heard over the years, the cold cases, as well as the evidence for those cases at the sheriff's office, used to be a bit of a disaster. Unorganized and sometimes even misplaced. They were all on paper. and Like Tiffany's case was in several boxes. Beth's case was a couple boxes also. There was a case from 1966 where they found a box of bones in the evidence room, which is not where a box of bones should be. Their evidence room had rats, it had floods, it had things over the years. And I think this happens all over the country with cold cases where the evidence is just destroyed. Shortly after the current Alachua County Sheriff Sadie Darnell's 2006 election, the sheriff established a cold case unit and Jamie came on board to help the detectives piece together what was already in-house and to see what evidence they could still work with to try and solve their cold cases because a lot of their cases still had viable suspects and evidence. But the DNA analysis needed to process all of that was just too expensive. So one of the things Jamie's best known for was getting a massive grant to send all of that viable evidence off to a private lab in Virginia called Bodie so they could examine it with newer science. And one of the cases they used that grant for was Beth Foster's, the college student who told her roommate she was going to read at Bivens Arm Nature Park in 1992 and never came back home. I remember the initial phone call from Bodie saying they were able to get a partial bias TR profile. And that was so exciting. And the detective working in the cold case unit at the time was Heather Phillips. And I remember calling her immediately. And I still remember exactly where I was sitting and calling Heather and telling her. I was so excited. 
Beth had been found buried in a shallow grave not far from Bivens Arm Park about a week and a half after she had disappeared. And when the medical examiner swabbed her body, they put the swabs onto slides and then they hung on to them for about 20 years. And as it turns out, sperm had been found on one of those slides. And so that's what Jamie sent in to Bodie to see if they could now get a DNA profile. And they did. Then became the process of, well, who, who does this belong to? I initially sent off a couple of different people and we kept getting negative results, negative results. And I went into the evidence room to look for the samples to send them off. Speaking of samples, remember the student murders? I told you about them in episode three. And remember how I told you that Paul Rolls was pulled in by the student murder task force in 1990 to be questioned about the killings and that he gave them prints, blood and pubic hair? I got to the point where we were getting negative results and I said, let's just send everything, all the remaining people off. And I came across Paul Rawls sample. It was also a little unusual because I believe it was 50 plucked pubic hairs. So it wasn't like a bugle or buckle swab. A detective told me it's that sample that was sent to the lab in 2012 because of Jamie's grant they came back as a match to the oral slide that had been taken from Beth in 92. That would mean Paul Rolls gave the sample that tied him to Beth Foster two years before she was even murdered. How, how certain were you guys that it's this guy? I think from our point of view, 100% certain. Now, I've also been told by someone else close to this case that the sample could have come after Paul had been arrested in 94 for kidnapping his surviving victim, Laura. And it's possible because there doesn't seem to be a really clear trail from Paul's sample. And while I want to be accurate, I don't think this piece really matters. Whether it was 90 or 94, the point is the sheriff's office had held on to both Paul Roll's DNA and the slide from Beth's case, unknowingly waiting on a connection between the two. So it's science had to catch up. Yes. It wasn't like in 92, they did have Paul's DNA, yes, but in 92 couldn't have done what you guys did. Is That's that right? Correct. Okay. With the YSTR, could you have prosecuted Paul on something like that? I believe so, yes, because even though... So this does get a bit sciencey, but I do think it's important to note that Paul's DNA was not a 100% match in the lab. The type of ID they made was called YSTR, right? And what that means is that technically Paul's brother and their dad and his dad, they'd all have that same YSTR profile. It gets carried down. But Paul's brother and dad and grandfather, they weren't relevant to the circumstances of Beth's disappearance. So the Alachua County Sheriff's Office was pretty comfortable pinning the murder directly on Paul. So it was Paul. Yes. It's kind of crazy to think about, but it really does make sense when you look at how Paul got away with so much for so long without anyone looking at him. He was so far down that list of samples to maybe get sent to the lab for Beth's case that he was in the last batch to be sent in. He seemed unlikely until the very end. But once they caught him for Beth, Paul Rolls moved to the top of another list. So once there was the match, detectives went to go interview him, and then that's when they discovered the information regarding him as a suspect in the Tiffany Sessions case. Two 
2012 was the year the Alachua County Sheriff's Office solved Beth Foster's case. Paul Roll's in-house pubic hairs matched the partial DNA profile the sheriff's office had been holding on to since Beth had been murdered 20 years earlier. And since he had been in prison for abducting Laura in 94, detectives were able to go down to Miami where Paul was in prison to question him about the match to Beth Foster. But Paul, who was then 63 years old, had fallen and broken his hip. He was in a wheelchair and overall in rough shape. The officers in charge of him down there said they had to make him shower. After he ate, they said he'd make himself throw up. And he was described to the sheriff's office as crotchety. And when the Alachua County Sheriff's Office detective showed up to talk to Paul about Beth Foster, Paul said he was in too much pain to remember anything. He said Beth's name didn't ring a bell. When shown her pictures, both of Beth alive and from after she had been found, he shook his head and said he didn't know what the detective was talking about. And when he was told about the DNA match and asked if he could explain it, Paul said he had no idea and was in too much pain. Paul eventually asked his officers to make the sheriff's office detective leave, but the detective noted that, quote, at no point during the interview did Rolls ever deny killing Foster and she filed a sworn complaint against Paul Rolls for homicide. The next year, when the case was handed over to Detective Kevin Allen, the DNA match gave him a new suspect profile to consider, and it was suggested to him that he look at Paul Rolls for Tiffany Sessions. Beth Foster was abducted a mile, maybe a mile and a half from Tiffany Sessions' walking route, and it fit Paul Rolls' profile from his first victim, Linda Fida. So those factors combined thought that we could have a serial killer. So I kind of focused more into that individual at that point. So even though not much had come out of Paul regarding Beth's case, Detective Allen drove down to Miami to question Paul about Tiffany. But by this time, Paul Rolls was dying. His organs were failing and he was on life support. Detective Allen had been hoping for some kind of deathbed confession because in the cases in which Paul had been caught before, Linda and Laura's, he'd confessed as soon as law enforcement questioned him. So maybe if someone confronted Paul about Tiffany Sessions, he'd admit he was involved and maybe even tell them where she was. So Detective Allen gave Paul's nurses a picture of Tiffany and told them if he wakes up, show him this picture and let me know what he says. But Paul Rolls never woke up. I mean, to me, that has always been the most frustrating part about the case, that if someone had put it together in 89 or even before he had gone over the edge, died in 2013, I, I think there's a chance we could have got the information. The hardest things to read from Paul's parole file are the letters that I found in there from Beth Foster's mom. She sent them to the parole commission that let Paul out of prison in 1985 because that decision to let him out is arguably what led to her daughter being murdered by Paul Rolls less than seven years later. She wrote, This case would have gone forward with a grand jury hearing and trial considering the DNA evidence told to me by the state attorney. But what really disturbs me is that Rolls was sentenced in 1974 to life without the possibility of parole and yet was released in 1985. Why? In addition, it may yet be found that he is a suspect in the murder of other young women. 
What I want to say is my daughter has not received the court justice she has deserved. Again, your commission released a sociopath killer who eventually, on March 15, 1992, murdered my daughter. For him to be released from prison after he had murdered someone else, that's where the accountability lies. And as far as I'm concerned, it's criminal. Not that she'd had anything to do with Paul Rolls getting out of prison, but Alachua County Sheriff Sadie Darnell also heard from Beth's mom, who had been waiting for someone to tell her who had killed her daughter for 20 years. And now that she knew, how the hell did that even happen? I have a, a, a vivid recollection uh, after I became sheriff uh, of getting a call from Elizabeth Foster's mom. You can imagine how difficult that phone call was. And she asked me a very valid question. Why didn't we know about Paul Rolls? You know, it was our failure. Why was he released from prison after murdering someone else? I could not answer that. And I, I told her, I said, it was wrong. How that happened is inexcusable. It should never have happened. And I cannot answer that. I cannot give you any logical or valid reason why he was released from prison. That never should have happened. It didn't change her pain. It didn't change her anguish or her frustration. It certainly didn't bring Elizabeth back, but it caused Elizabeth's murder. And they were starting to think it could have caused Tiffany's too. Both girls taken from Williston Road just three years apart with no legitimate suspects for decades. But even though this brand new possible suspect died basically as soon as they decided to connect the cases, it was actually his death that helped the sheriff's office move the investigation forward. When Paul Rolls died, I had connected with a Miami-Dade homicide detective um, in case he made a dying declaration. And she contacted me as soon as Paul Rolls died. And I forwarded her email to the sheriff. Kevin had sent me an email that said, Paul Rolls has died. And I said something to the effect of, shit, shit, shit. Within 30 seconds, I got another email from her and she said, get down to his cell and get all of his belongings. I don't know where that came from. It seemed like the right thing to do and it was worth a try. It was absolutely the right thing to do. And honestly, if they hadn't done it, I don't think we'd be talking about Paul Rolls and Tiffany Sessions today. Because even though Detective Allen and Sheriff Darnell had no idea what they were looking for, Paul's prison cell had been holding the key to this case for who knows how many years. It was a big box of loose papers and it was sealed. So I opened the box and I started looking at some loose papers. And in fairly short order, I found this red address book and... Uh, couple things strike my eyes because he has Linda Fida's name in this address book, and it says age 20. It was funny that he would put his first victim in an address book and emphasize her age. And so I'm still going through the address book. And then I'm not even sure I knew about Laura, but I remember seeing Laura somewhere in there too. And he had emphasized the ages, like when her birthday was, like when she was 16, when she'd be 20, when she'd be 24 for some reason. So... I just thought it was all kind of weird, but very relevant to what I was investigating. And so I'm just flipping the pages and I came to about the middle of the address book. And there, the only thing written on two of these pages was 2989 and then the number two. 
and that. I mean, I almost fell on the floor when I saw that one. Are you connecting the dots here? Tiffany Sessions disappeared on February 9th, 1989. Two, nine, eighty-nine. And Detective Allen is flipping through this book from Paul Roll's prison belongings, where Paul had apparently documented at least two, but maybe even four of his victims. And in that book, Paul had written number two next to two slash nine slash eighty-nine. We believe Linda Fida was Paul's first victim in 1972, and we don't know of any other victims for sure until Beth Foster in 1992. So Tiffany Sessions could have been Paul Roll's second victim in 1989. And Detective Allen believes that notation in Paul's address book, where he put a number two next to the date Tiffany Sessions disappeared, was Paul's coded way of remembering a victim he hadn't been caught for, yet. When I found that, my knees started to give out. I said, oh my God. At that point, that date was in my memory forever, 2989. I'd been working that case for a few months at that point, and I knew that's when Tiffany had been abducted. And the fact that he wrote the number two next to it, that just kind of blew me away. That admission or that writing in his address book began the time that we targeted him as the probable suspect at Tiffany Sessions. 25 years after Tiffany Sessions went out for a walk and disappeared without a trace, law enforcement had finally found a tiny piece of circumstantial evidence to link this possible serial killer to their cold case. And they were now almost positive Tiffany Sessions and Beth Foster were linked. Their theory was now that both girls could have been taken from and murdered on Williston Road by Paul Rolls, and they ran with it. Once they'd zeroed in on Paul, the address book entry wasn't the only piece that fell into the Tiffany Sessions puzzle, and Williston Road was once again about to be a major piece of a murder investigation. We're coming up to the area of, uh, where the Polo's uh, end of the complex was. This is to be the northwestern part of the Polo. This wasn't even broke around back then. You might remember from episode two that about 15 minutes of Tiffany's regular walking route was really secluded. It was that chunk that took her from her complex toward Williston Road on that short leg of the L. And back then, there weren't a lot of other apartment complexes on that part of the path like there are now. So she was kind of oh, secluded. Yes. on this part of but the But she's close to her house. Yes. So, of course, she felt safe. Sure. This was all trees back then. This is like But there areas. were a few apartment complexes that were being built back then. The Polos and Hunter's Run. And one of them, the Hunter's Run complex that was going up right on Williston Road, was using Crom equipment rentals for scaffolding. And one of Crom's employees for that job was Paul Rolls. So... Tiffany did this walk three or four times a week. If he was there, he could have seen her doing this yes. multiple times. And would have known her pattern. And it was a pattern. Yes. But just picture dark path from this point on, all trees on both sides. Probable abduction. Right here is where you think he took yes. her. Yes. 
right here is, of course, that secluded part of Tiffany's route. Since we never heard from anyone who actually saw Tiffany walking that night, Detective Allen doesn't know if Paul grabbed her on the way to Williston Road at the beginning of her walk or when she was headed back home. But the detective thinks Paul was waiting in the wooded part of her path when she crossed his. Where do you think his car would have been? Well, it depends how he approached her. You know, if he stalked her every day and watched her every day to find that she was on the same route every day, then he might have just been parked on that route so that he could open up a car door when it was safe for him, when there was no one else looking or no one watching. One of the things Detective Allen found through his investigation was that Paul, who apparently never missed work, was absent February 9th, 1989. So one theory is that Paul saw Tiffany walking her route all of the time and decided that day to wait for her on that secluded part of the path. Another theory is that the abduction was compulsive and Paul just saw Tiffany that night and took her. You know, hey, I need help, I need directions, and Tiffany's the type that probably would have said, yeah, how can I help? And then bam, you know, a six foot two, 200 pound guy against a young lady. I mean, just there's no, there's no chance. And I think he would have incapacitated her quickly. And then from then he's in control. And probably went to a second location? Yes. Okay. Now where that is, whether that's, don't you think wherever that is, that's where she still is? Most likely. Okay. And that's why Beth Foster makes the most sense. I mean, it's right down the street. He could have crossed Williston Road, got immediately off the streets, and been on a, a trail through the woods all the way to 441, near where he left Beth Foster. It's just so logical. Are you catching on to the detective's theory? Since the likely abduction point on Tiffany's walking route is only about a mile and a half west of where Paul buried Beth Foster, and there's a trail right across the street from Tiffany's route that runs all the way to Beth's grave, Detective Allen was thinking Paul could have left Tiffany in the same place as or very close to that grave. That spot is right where Williston Road meets 441, two major roads in Gainesville, but there's a big chunk of woods right there on the corner where Detective Allen thinks Paul Rolls might have been really comfortable. He must have been pretty brave at this point because this is a, a main road. And we weren't that far. I mean, it is wooded, but we weren't that far in. I would think he probably could be pretty, like most serial killers, could be pretty brutal pretty fast. And, you know, not to shock you, but, you know, if you grab a woman by the hair and just go, you know, you're just going to be so stunned, you know, he's not going to be able to do anything. And he's six foot, 220 pounds, and he's in good shape. I mean, just, there's really no match, you know, and if you have a weapon also, you know, I don't know. Detective Allen thinks Paul abducted both girls in the same way, got them into a car, incapacitated them, and then took them to a second location. And the only second location they had to work off of was the wooded area off Williston Road where we know he took back. Do you think he killed her in these woods? Probably. Took her here to rape her? Yes. And killed her immediately? Buried her in a shallow grave. 
Good morning, everyone, and thank you for being here. This has been a long journey. We finally made it back to where we started, that 2014 press conference in the woods. In specifics to this case, what has happened is there was a DNA connection made with uh, Beth Foster, whose remains were found in the wooded area behind me, uh, and with a man by the name of Paul Rolls. We were in those woods at the corner of Williston Road and 441. The sheriff's office had been digging it up with giant construction excavators for weeks, two football fields worth. But it was so secluded that we, the media, had no idea they were even back there. But we also had no idea they had started looking at Tiffany's case again, let alone found a new suspect. None of us had ever heard of Paul Rolls. After all, if he was really responsible, he'd gotten away with it for 25 years. But um, when he died, we seized evidence, uh, items from his cell. For us, what has been uh, significant was the journal entry on his calendar in his cell from the items that he was that, that were seized, the notation number two. 2989, which is the day that Tiffany went missing and has never been seen since, and she is presumed to be dead. Paul Rolls has a horrible history of violent crimes against women, murder, rape, kidnapping. He was in this community. He murdered in this community Beth Foster. He was in this area at the time of Tiffany's disappearance. He worked at a business here and did not work on the day and night of her disappearance. All indicators have pointed to him. The sheriff's office told us they had been digging up that particular site, not only because it's where Paul Rolls had left Beth Foster, but also because of something Paul had said after kidnapping his surviving victim, Laura, in 94. Remember how after they drove through Steak and Shake, Paul and Laura had stopped in a wooded area? And Paul later told police that it was, quote, kind of like an area where people could go back in and dump things that they wanted to dump. Well, the Beth Foster site, where we were having this press conference, used to be kind of a mess. And when they found Beth's body there, the area was just covered in junk and trash, a mattress. And even now, I mean, I went back there just a few weeks ago, and there was an old toilet and still a bunch of trash. So Detective Allen felt like the place Paul left Beth might also be where he took Laura. And that would be one more reason it could be where he took Tiffany. So they took two teams of cadaver dogs two separate times, and they searched that whole site. What happened is the dogs alerted for more human remains at or near the Beth Foster crime scene. And then we brought in another set of canines from another area of the state, and five of the six dogs did full alert for human remains. What were you thinking when you were seeing all these pieces come together and then the dogs are alerting? I thought to myself, oh my God, and Tiffany Sessions might be here too. Everyone was pretty hopeful that that was the real deal. Yes. Yes, especially the parents. Since almost all of the dogs had indicated there were more human remains at the Beth Foster site, the team decided to excavate out from Beth's grave in all directions and down at least four feet. I interviewed Detective Allen for the first time back in 2014 when they did this search, and some of the bites in this next part are from that original interview. Most murder victims are buried two to three feet down, so we went a foot deeper and we excavated the entire area. The excavator would pull up a bucket of dirt and the team would watch the dirt pour back out of the bucket over and over and over again, keeping their eyes peeled for anything. 
bones, tennis shoes, Tiffany's Walkman, her Rolex. It was very emotional, like the first couple of days. And I'll never forget something Pat Sessions did. We all kind of gathered around in a circle just for a little pep rally before we got started. And Pat stopped us and took a, a big poster of Tiffany out and he hammered it to a tree and he said, just FYI, I'm doing this so that, you know, you're not just looking for bones, you're looking for my daughter. But bucket after bucket pulled up nothing. They dug for two weeks and they still couldn't find Tiffany. It wasn't until their digging led them to a septic tank that they realized the human remains the dogs had alerted to were not bones. And we opened up a septic tank which had human remains in it. So was that it the whole time, do you think? I'm sorry? Was it the septic tank that had alerted to the whole time? So all along. The dogs had alerted to human remains, right? And so the investigators assumed that alert meant they'd find bones. But it had just been sewage. The sheriff's office, the FBI, Nick Mick, Tiffany's family, they just knew this was going to be where they finally found Tiffany Sessions because the site made sense to them. And all of these dogs had said, yes, there are human remains exactly where you think there should be human remains. But when they dug it all up, it was just a septic tank and they were no closer to finding Tiffany Sessions. What was the feeling like on the site? All that hope built up and you're watching the dirt fall every day and then you don't find her. It was discouraging. I remember in the middle of that second week, I think I kind of assumed at that point that we weren't going to find her and, you know, to do all of that work and not bring the remains home to the parents. It was discouraging. The gravity of all of that, especially in regard to Patrick Sessions and Hillary Sessions, didn't hit me that day at the press conference. In fact, it didn't really hit me for a long time. This is my only baby. She's my masterpiece. And um, it would be nice to be able to put her to rest after all these years. Both Hillary and Pat spoke that day, but I think the rest of us were so wrapped up in finding out about this new suspect and that being responsible for Tiffany made him a serial killer that had just lived in our community and what did that mean and who was he and yada, yada, yada. Important news, but we still hadn't found Tiffany. And wasn't she the point? And looking back at it now, I cannot imagine what that was like for her parents. The good thing is, I had 20 wonderful years with my child. And that's what keeps me going every day, because I had that time with her. I took the time. And you know what? I don't have to sit across the courtroom. And God made that happen for me, that I don't have to deal with him. But as a mother, as a Christian, I would like to be able to give her a Christian burial. And I would like to have her not be out in the woods with wild animals and not have have any idea what, what really happened. Now when I think of Tiffany, although I can't stop thinking about what happened to her, I remember good stuff, you know, things we did together. So. Yeah, I'm as far as you're going to get with knowing that your daughter was murdered by a serial killer. I mean, that's never going away. Unfortunately, everything that I was afraid of happened. 
you know, everybody was like, well, maybe she got in a fight with her boy. And I said, I don't think so. I said, I think we're going to find out that this is not this guy's first time. And it's going to be like a serial killer. It's going to be some guy that just drove down the street and out of nowhere just grabbed her. And sure enough, that's what it turned out to be. What do you think happened that got missed? Was something missed? It's worse than that. He had been arrested uh, right down the street for prowling around a building, other things. And when I look back on it, there, there was a huge drop. My God, this guy had gotten out of jail for rape and murder. How much more do you have to do? Even though the physical search was over and most of the media ran their stories that week and then left town and the story pretty much for good, there were still several viable leads left to run down. At the press conference, the sheriff's office had told us that finding Tiffany's Rolex was a huge priority. It was possible, they said, that Paul had taken it, and they were hoping if they could get a hold of it and trace its ownership history backward, it would end up pointing to Paul, giving them more definitive evidence that he was the right guy. Because remember, they still didn't have any physical proof of a connection between Paul Rolls and Tiffany Sessions. You know, we have no physical evidence that links Paul Rolls to Tiffany Sessions. We have no evidence for Tiffany Sessions. We never found the body. But that entry in his journal, uh, to me, that was very telling. In addition to the fact that he documented his other victims in the same journal, I'm convinced. And when I sat down with Detective Allen for the first time, one-on-one, -on -one, just a couple of weeks after that press conference in the woods, he told me that there were even more leads to run down, and any one of them could link Paul to Tiffany. This is from that interview. We would need some DNA evidence, and that's one thing we're looking into now. We're trying to find Paul Roll's truck. He drove a red Ford Bronco when Tiffany Sessions was abducted. He drove a red Ford Bronco when Beth Foster was abducted, and he drove a red Ford Bronco when he abducted his last victim that survived in 1994. Uh, FBI is involved in a case, and they are aggressively looking for that vehicle. If we get the vehicle, if it's not been crushed and it's gone, um, there's a chance we could have Tiffany's hair, we could have blood inside that vehicle, um, and that would link Paul Rolls directly to the Tiffany Sessions case. Is it even possible that, that would, something like that would have survived for 25 years? Well, I, I asked the private lab that we deal with, and they said it's less than a 1% chance. But that's worth trying, and we're going to try. The Florida Department of Law Enforcement has checked the state of Florida. So far, we haven't been able to find it in Florida. And as I said before, the FBI is looking for it all over the country. Detective Allen had also tracked down Andrew, Paul and Kathy's son. He was then in his 20s and had moved out of Florida, but once Detective Allen found him, Andrew was pretty open and even gave the detective a piece of possible evidence from Paul. Andrew was very cooperative. He gave me a knife that belonged to Paul Rolls, and the FBI has that now. They're taking it apart, and they're checking it for any blood or potential DNA evidence of Tiffany Sessions. Andrew also told Detective Allen that he remembered Paul giving his mom, Kathy Rolls, a piece of jewelry for Christmas one year. According to Andrew, it was a gold watch. The watch? That was the big thing. You know, everyone was like, can we find this watch? The fact that Tiffany Sessions was wearing the Rolex watch that her father gave her which was her most cherished possession by all accounts. We still thought that there was a possibility that someone either pawned that watch at some point or that it would still be on her wrist somewhere. 
And Andrew also brought us to a location in Gainesville that we were not aware of before. He said that his mother, Catherine, had pawned some jewelry at a specific pawn shop in Gainesville. And although he was only seven or eight years old back then, when we brought him to town, that pawn shop was still there. And we went to that pawn shop, and there is a record of Catherine Rawls pawning some jewelry at that location. There wasn't much of a description, but there was a transaction, and it was for a significant amount of money, but we were not able to determine whether that was a Rolex watch or not. Even though that specific pawn shop didn't pan out, their theory that Paul might have given Tiffany's Rolex to Catherine was still in play. If we could put that in Catherine Rolls' hands at any point, then we could certainly link Paul Rolls to Tiffany Sessions' abduction. And would that close the case? That would close the case. But even with those leads still to be run down, the big, heavy pieces of this case were pretty much over. The sheriff's office had finally found who they wholeheartedly believed was responsible, and they had looked for Tiffany one more time in the place they thought had the highest probability of finding her. From their perspective, the case was arguably solved, and Tiffany's family felt at least a little solace knowing who took their daughter. So when I started this project up two summers ago, I asked Detective Allen, who had dozens of other cold cases that also needed his attention, if he felt like they'd finally closed the file on Tiffany. Are you satisfied with where things finished? Because then you know who did it. Yeah, I mean, I don't put any uh, time, effort. I think I worked Tiffany nonstop for almost a year, year yeah. and a half. So I do almost nothing on Tiffany anymore. And are you, I mean, as far as you feel, it's done? Yeah, yeah, I'm comfortable that we know who was responsible for her demise, um, and so do the parents, and I think I'm able to work other cases now. For the record, he did work on other cases. In fact, he solved some pretty big ones, and a couple from that series we had worked on together way back when. But he was gonna change his mind about being finished with Tiffany Sessions. But since then... There was one other lead that had to be looked into. We have reasonable suspicion to believe that uh, Paul Rolls could have been there based upon uh, some witness testimony that I think you're familiar with. A brand new witness who had never come forward. And she just started crying hysterically and she could not stop. And she said, I've been holding the story in for 25 years. I've talked to her a lot over the last couple of years. It was just this... Wonder if, wonder if, wonder if, what if, what if it was her, what if it was her. I believe it was her. I believe her. So does law enforcement. We just, they need to go find her. She's there. If you have any information about Tiffany Sessions' case or Paul Rolls, please contact Detective Kevin Allen. I cannot stress this enough. Nothing is too small or irrelevant in this case. And even if you think you've called and reported in the past, go ahead and share your information again. His number is 352-384-3323.
And if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can call and leave a voicemail at 352-559-5007. Now that we're putting all these pieces together, I'd love to hear your thoughts and any questions. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook under Haley Holloway, and I now have an Instagram account just for the podcast where I'm putting up pictures and videos from the cases so you can see what you've been hearing. It's at Shallow Graves Podcast. As always, my eternal gratitude to Jessica McGill. This podcast would never get published without your stamp of approval. Music for the podcast is by Mark at Lineout Studios, and music editing, audio restoration, and mastering is by Aston Lopez.